Well, welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher, podcast number six. And today we're looking at prayer. And by prayer, I mean simply talking to God. I'm thinking about when I when I talk about prayer, I'm not so much thinking about the a list of things that you want God to do. I'm thinking about processing something before God. Now, if you've prayed at all, you will have found out by now that often nothing much changes. Now, I know that that's a strange thing to say, but I think it's common to be talking to God, praying about something, and nothing seems to change. Now, if you've experienced that, one of two things can happen. You can simply stop praying because it doesn't work, or you can expand your understanding of prayer. And I think that that's what the scripture passage does today. I think what we'll see this morning is, or my morning, is that Jesus models for us one of the reasons he spends time praying. And not only does Jesus spend a lot of time praying, but he also encourages his students to do the same. So this morning we find Jesus encouraging his disciples to pray and he also takes a break to pray himself. And here's the setup when in Mark 6, here's what's happened. Jesus has just newly found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been ruthlessly murdered by King Herod. Yeah, this is the King Herod that you heard about in the Christmas story. Wicked King Herod. Well, I'm not going to go into the story of it because we looked at it last week in podcast five, but it was a senseless murder and John ends up being executed by Herod. Jesus lived in violent, cruel times. So it's not just today that the innocent suffer. This has been the pattern from the beginning. So when Jesus heard about John, naturally enough, and he's, he's, he's grieving, and he needs time, and he needs space, and he needs a break, and he needs to process this massive loss, which I think, when you think about prayer, much of the time, prayer is processing life. Like if you move away from the idea of prayer just being a list of things that you want God to do, if you move away from that for a while, and if you think about prayer as we're, we're, we're trying to make sense out of life. And when you read about Jesus in the New Testament, you'll notice that before and after any big event he prays, before any challenge he prays, when he has any sorrow, he prays. He's always withdrawing to pray. And when you look at Jesus' life, so much of prayer is really about guidance. It's about processing something. You know, we're trying to make sense out of our lives. We're trying to make sense out of the world. John the Baptist is killed, and Matthew's version of the story says that Jesus withdraws to a solitary place. 
And then in this version in Matthew 6, it's the same thing. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, come away, come away. Yeah, we, we need to get to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. And so they leave. They get on this boat and they go off to this deserted place. They're trying to make sense out of what has just happened. So there they are in their boat, trying to get away from everyone and all their needs, because by this point in Jesus' life, he is, this is maybe halfway through the ministry, so he's, he only had three years of ministry, three years of teaching and healing. It's not, not long. But right at the center point, this is where he's very, very popular, and by now, the crowd's know about him, they know about him as a teacher, they know about him as a miracle worker, and he has a reputation for being a healer. So wherever he goes, he's surrounded by masses of people. And in this passage, uh, Mark tells us they, they got into the boat to find this quiet place, but the crowds on the shore saw them in the boat, the crowds recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Now, what's interesting here is, if you read later on, this is the same day that Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of Jesus' most well-known miracles. But if you look at it in the context, this amazing miracle occurs at one of the lowest points in Jesus' life. And I think this is worth noting because we often think of Jesus as one who is somehow beyond feeling loss, beyond sadness, and beyond feeling grief beyond sorrow. We see him at times as not quite human like us. But the New Testament tells us, no, he, he was familiar with sorrow. He was familiar with grief. Certainly grief was not unknown to Jesus. Neither was uh, physical exhaustion or emotional weariness. No, what's remarkable about Jesus is isn't that he didn't feel the strain of life or fear or grief or anger or loss and a host of other emotions that can grip our hearts. What's remarkable about Jesus is, is that no matter what happens in his life, he continues to trust in the goodness of God and he carries on and he moves ahead in faith. That's what's remarkable about Jesus. When Jesus' world was anything but good, when he's reeling from grief, when he's stunned by violence, when he's shocked by Cousin John's premature death, he continues to trust in the goodness of God and he keeps moving ahead in faith. Jesus models what trusting in God looks like. He modeled it for the first disciples and he's doing it for us, us today. It's the same thing. He's in shock. He's in grief. He's suffering. His first response, let's find a quiet place. We, we, 
we, we need a quiet place. Isn't that interesting? That's the first response. Because you see, unlike us, sometimes um, that might not necessarily be our first response when bad things happen, right? Because for people of faith, who gets the blame? Often it's what God doesn't care. Or for people who aren't quite sure, it's like, well, if there is a God, it doesn't make any difference because I'm on my own. I'm working life out as best I can. I'm surviving by my wits. And if there is a God, I certainly don't expect any help from God if there is one because nothing's changing. See, that wasn't Jesus' response. When Jesus goes to a deserted place, to a quiet place, it's never to withdraw from life or God. It's never to just get away. It's always to draw closer and to regain perspective. He prays. He encourages us to pray. Why? Not necessarily to change the situation. He prays to get God's perspective. Prayer gives us a new way of looking at things. It's not necessarily to change the situation. John the Baptist isn't going to come back, in other words. Right? Uh, prayer gives us a different way to respond to situations. Prayer gives us the ability to step outside of our normal, usual way that we respond to challenges. Um, Talking to God helps us step back and gain a far greater perspective because when you remove defensiveness, when you step back from defensiveness, or you step back from anger, or you just sit with your grief, or sit with your sadness in God's presence, little shifts take place in you, in you. In fact, you know, I was thinking, I, I don't necessarily pray for other people to change anymore. I don't think it's necessarily wrong that you pray that other people change, but I have found that it's sort of futile a lot of the time. But when we pray, little shifts take change, change us. Things change, like, I'm going to stop arguing with my mother-in-law about this because it really isn't helpful. Why am I doing this? I'm going, to, I'm going to change the way I correct my child because this is making things worse. Or I'm going to be more transparent and tell my spouse my fears. I'm going to... I'm going to be more honest with my partner. I'm, I'm changing the way that I, I work in this relationship. These kinds of uh, little shifts happen in time when we pray. So it's not so much about making a problem going away. So I'm suggesting here that Jesus encourages his students and us to pray, not just not to change the situation, 
not to remove grief or confusion because we're not made this way. You know, life, life doesn't work this way. It's not a case of I pray and then the problem's gone. These disciples, they've got to be filled with questions about John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was a, a major personality in the New Testament. He was very, very popular. He was, he, he was the one who laid the groundwork before Jesus' ministry. The disciples, the crowds, all knew John the Baptist, and they know that he's, he was killed. They've got to have lots of questions. Jesus, didn't you tell us that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived? Didn't you say that? Yeah, 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 I did. Jesus, didn't you think he was amazing, so strong and, and courageous and true to the end? Didn't you tell us that? Yeah, yeah, I, I did tell you that. Uh -huh. So how come God didn't save him? How come God didn't rescue him? How come God didn't step in in some way? I mean, chances are these kind of questions, they would never be fully answered. You know, so often we want to understand why things happen, you know, why am I sick? Oh God, why am I sick? You know, why do I always have to struggle with money? Or why do my relationships always end up this way? And, you know, we, we, tr we try and make sense out of things, which is fine to a point. But I wonder if prayer is the process of getting to the place where you really don't have the answers completely and you really don't know why, but you know what? I'm going to trust God regardless. When I'm tired or when the needs of others are too much or when I'm sad or when I'm confused, I'm going to trust God anyway and I'm going to move ahead by faith. This is exactly what Jesus does after the death of cousin John. I'm trusting, I'm trusting God and I'm moving ahead by faith. It's a main teaching, it's a major spiritual principle of Jesus. God is good and you need to learn to trust. And everything's always about learning with Jesus. That's why we're disciples or students. We're always learning. We're learning to forgive. We're learning to trust. We're learning about guidance. It's because we don't know it. We're beginners. A major spiritual principle. God is good and you need to learn how to trust. Follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. Copy me. Watch me do this. Watch me move ahead. See, for Jesus, any kind of distress or any kind of challenge is a call to move closer to God, not further away. You know, this, there's a fascinating line in this passage. I'd never seen this before. Uh, the disciples and Jesus are in this boat, right? They're trying to find this quiet place. Well, they don't find it because when they get to their destination, they dock the boat the crowds are already there. There's thousands of needy people there. Remember we said that he's a, he's a well-known healer at this point in his life. He's at the peak of his popularity. Is a reputation for being a healer, a, a worker of miracles. So we can imagine the many and various needs of this mass of humanity. They're desperate to see him. 
Each person's got their own set of desires and suffering and expectations. If you were there, if you were part of that crowd, imagine yourself standing on the beach, you're part of that crowd. You know exactly what you want to talk to Jesus about, right? Whatever it is, forefront on your mind, heavy on your heart, you know what you would talk to Jesus about as soon as he steps off that boat. Well, the crowds are going to be the same, right? Jesus and the disciples get off the boat. It's still early in the morning. It's what Jesus doesn't do that's interesting to me, fascinating. He doesn't feed them. He doesn't clothe them. He doesn't heal them. He doesn't give them shelter. All of these are good things to do. He doesn't rush in and ask people what they need. He looked at this mass of people. And the passage says he has compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's that? Sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered. They're vulnerable. Sheep without a shepherd, there's really no sense of direction. It's, it's a lack of direction. It's a sense of, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going in circles here. So Jesus sees this mass of humanity, doesn't rush in to feed them or clothe them or shelter them or ask them what they want. Instead, this is the line, he began to teach them many things. That's how he responded. He began to teach them many things. That's how he spent the entire day and night with them. He taught them many things until it was late at night. So if you imagine you're part of that crowd, you're full of expectation, you know what you want to talk to Jesus about, you know what you're going to say when it's your turn, you know your request, and it's like Jesus stops you before you begin to talk, before you begin to give him your litany of requests. It's like, no, 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 no. What you need is, yeah, the Jesus, this is what, no, 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 this is what you need. You need a greater connection to the shepherd. You're wandering. You lack direction. But Jesus said, no, no will you, that's not your first need. But I need to secure this job, no. This college, I need this relationship to work out. I need this amount of money. I need you to do something. No. That's not the main core need. The core need is the core need, you're like a sheep without a shepherd. What you need is to learn to follow closely to your shepherd. And when that happens, that will inform and change all the other needs. In other words, sometimes we don't know what we need. And sometimes our needs are headed in the wrong direction. I mean... <laughs> We've, we've all experienced this, right? I mean, when you look back in your life, don't isn't there points where you think, I wish I had uh, paused and reflected more before I took that action? I've spent years and years and years investing in this person or investing in this thing, and what a waste. Why did I do that? I wish I had been more thoughtful before I entered into this. Well, that's prayer. That's, pro that's what prayer is. It's processing things with God. 
and prayer can make changes. It changes us. It causes shifts in us. It shifts our perceived needs. It changes us. What if what we think we need is inadequate? What if we're off track? What if we're thinking about something in an unhelpful way? Wouldn't it be great to know now, before we invest years or a lifetime into something or someone? Yeah, yeah, I would. Prayer. What is it? It's curiosity, it's openness. It's really, I think it's a heart stance. It's curiosity, it's openness, it's willingness. It's seeking, it's it's wonder, it's coming empty-handed before God. It's vulnerable, it's expectation, it's looking, it's pursuing. It's the heart cry that says, what, God, what, do you, what would you have for me here? What are you showing me? What are you teaching me? What would you have me learn here? Prayer. So much more than a list of requests. Anyway, the list, God knows what's on the list anyway, right? So much more than a list of requests. It's processing life with God. It's working things out. It's working life out and allowing changes to take place in us. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher and we've been looking at the wisdom of Jesus for our lives today. Jesus modeling trust and he's modeling it at a very low point in his life but he moves ahead by faith regardless. He encourages us to do the same. Join with me next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.